Welcome to Armchair Preaching, a podcast of the First Presbyterian Church in Lakeland, Florida. This is a podcast about God's Word, the beauty of the gospel, and what it takes to communicate that truth to others. I'm your host, Pastor Zach McGowan, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Paul Sewich as we discuss the role of work and our faith in the beginning of our series called An Integrated Life. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to Armchair Preaching. Today in the Armchair, we are kicking off a brand new series with Dr. Paul Sewich. Welcome, sir. It's almost a regular thing now, three know, times like, in the same year. I know. It's it's amazing. And <laughs> I think it's great because we get a unique perspective from you on the craft of preaching and then how that, that translates into you know your, your work as a parish counselor here. So I'm glad mm-hmm. we get to spend this time. Excellent. Me too. Uh, first time Very I think much. we've spoken about kicking off a series though. Have you? Have we talked about? No, ki- I, no, think I, you, I seldom get first at bat. You, you saw. You seldom get to set the table for That's the right. entire series, That's which right. I think you did very well. Um, Pastor John and I, and actually Josh and I, um, and in predecessors Kenny and others yeah. have kicked off series, and there is a unique element to it which both of us had to get into at the beginning because you are having to. Well, set the course sure right. and especially to me with with regards to integration which yeah. is a very uh, it's a wonderful it's an excellent goal but it's a very very rich lifelong process right. so um, yeah. that, that certainly is my hope that what we're doing is raising excellent questions that provoke good conversations yeah, absolutely so this week we were talking about work but before we get into the specific message this week i do want to talk about the craft of sermon preparation mm-hmm. and uh, something that you know john and i've talked about off and on but I, i'd love to hear your take on it uh one of the biggest aspects of the Pre, uh, the, the preparation of any message is the discipline of prayer and the mm-hmm. regularity yeah. of prayer. And I wonder, from your point of view, do, how does prayer fold into the preparation and then also the delivery part of preaching a message on a Sunday morning? How much does do things change for you in terms of your when you have a sermon you know coming up in two weeks or three weeks or a week? Mm-hmm. How does prayer kind of mold into the preparation for you? So typically for me, the sermon comes after the liturgy. So I've already looked at these passages, and the first thing that I do is to read them and then ask what prayer is called for from this passage. Is it it calling for my praise of God? Mm -hmm. Is it a a matter of conviction and it's prompting me to take an honest look at myself and say, well, with regards to work, if God gives me work, when, when in fact do I engage and what, where am I with this? Which often then leads me to, you know, who, who has taught me the most uh, about this? Where, where, where is it come to life for me yeah and when you are actually you know this week you had we had the topic of prayer out there for a while as you're getting ready to dive into a specific text surrounding this topic you mm-hmm. know you really uh we both talked about the genesis one and two and three really one two and three passage yeah. right right because that triplet is it's just the foundations. Yeah, and and just as I think, just talk for a second because this is I think this is relevant. Most people don't look at Genesis one through three as as as, as chapters on work, right? I don't like when. The, well, if that, they don't, they we need to ask them to reread them one more time. But, but what I mean is, I think they most people go to Genesis one through three and they think about creation, and then they immediately go to some of the questions. You know, in the debates about science and creation, and 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 they'll and then they'll then they'll go into the marriage piece. They'll go into. I was going to say, let's of, pick a topic that doesn't have Genesis one through three as a core foundational no, structure. It doesn't. You know, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it would well, be hard pressed. It's funny because this week we are talking about the integration of faith and family. family. And my like that's well. Now we have to go to four, one yeah, through four. Yeah. But well, <laughs> if you really want to get out, yeah. it gets real quick. Yeah, right? seriously. But it does. But seriously. This, but I think when we're talking about Genesis one. Two and three, mm-hmm. you know, our 
one of my struggles, and, and you also, I think, as a as a regular Bible teacher, you know, you teach the Bible in in very similar ways to, to my my yeah. approach, which is we're going to take the slow, we're going to be and deliberate, and we're going to go deep. Yeah. Uh, and and one of the things I love when we do that is we unpack the little nuances and and. That, that people don't see when they're just you know when they're doing their yearly Bible read right so they just they're they're right at ninety miles it, right? an hour you know at ten thousand feet you miss a lot of that you have time yeah and 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 there's nothing I don't say there's nothing wrong with that approach as long as there's a, a married approach to let's also go go deep and wide not just you know it's not just wide yeah the the annual year through the scriptures is is critical to having a bird's eye view to, to keeping the whole scope of the scriptures um, in the top drawer yeah. of your mental life. Yeah. So I think it, it's valuable. On the other hand, you don't get to when, when you come to a genealogy chapter, <laughs> you forget that each of these people are real people. Yeah. Uh, and if you were talking, if if I was at the genealogy hall and i had my my genealogy work and somebody said well we don't have any time to spend here so yes there are there are seven of your relatives going back to 1600 but we don't have time to stop let's go i'd i would revolt i'd say yeah. no i'm i want sitting right yeah. here i want to know their stories yeah. i want i want these seven people to come alive for me. Whereas if I'm reading the Bible in a year, I'm like, oh, okay, well, da, 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 I'm out and I'm gone. Yeah, and I think I think when I when I'm when I'm approaching Genesis is probably not a fair, uh, probably not a fair because I'm I, I constantly go back to Genesis, like you said. I I'm sure it's hard for me on a Sunday not to jump back into Genesis. Absolutely. Uh, but when I get to a place like Nehemiah, where I went. To this week or other other spots, I do have to pray quite a bit through those passages because there's there is so much wealth in there, and say, okay, Lord, you got to reveal to me for this moment because preaching is contextual, right? So you can go back to a passage of yeah. scripture over and over and over again, and, and depending on your context and the context of your community, you'll see different things, and there's nuance that God wants you to bring out. So my my prayer life really goes. To those passages now, Genesis is not. I mean, Genesis is like. I mean, that's like breathing, right? That's like I, I you know. <laughs> yeah. And you more so than me because you know you've actually gone through in the Hebrew and done the nerdy thing, right? I, I love the nerdy thing I because then you see, you know, because every. Every essential word in Hebrew has three letters. That's right. And so when you see a word that has the same three letters in a different order, you're like, wait a minute. You know they're rhyming. Yeah. Right. And so they're they're not rhyming accidentally, as in, oh, how about that? No, those words just happen to rhyme. No, no, they're no. doing this on purpose to make you think. I think too. We we forget that there's a, a great level of sophistication with the biblical authors. There's a, a great deal of how did C.S. Lewis put it? Um, contemporary? No, what did he say? Some, some sort of snobbery related to our contemporary, <laughs> like because we are yes. because we are newer, we're obviously more intelligent and more sophisticated. I can't. I, I I'm going to kick yeah, myself. He, he I can't remember the phrase. that in several places. But but they're like when you're the, reading the science fiction trilogy, yeah. in particular. Oh, it's, yeah. oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when you're when you're looking at an ancient text or in in the original language we we ought to go at it from the standpoint of no these are highly intelligent highly sophisticated authors who are who God is inspiring so take their intelligence and their cre- their creativity and magnify it to the the divine degree and and now you're talking about like like you really should be reading this with an eye towards uh the depth of it right and so we talked about the words uh, work uh, to you know keep working keep right yeah yeah shemar and shemar yeah, yeah uh, uh, and and I've done word studies on those two mm-hmm. that take you through the book of Leviticus and yeah. uh, I just pin dropped a couple little like I actually part a big chunk of my doctoral paper is about the connection between work and worship that we're that we're created to be worshipers and that's really the first task that God gives Adam and Eve is to worship 
in their vocation. Mm-hmm. And you dug, dug into that as well, too. So what is it about those words that really um, just grab a hold of your attention? Well, first, again, my wife is attempting to turn our place in a subdivision, our, our little piece of land, into a replica of the Garden of Eden. Oh, all, all we need is a tabernacle, and we <laughs> are going to be complete. Uh, and so she is, and she is devoted to, and an excellent example of Shamar. Yeah, of of work, uh, of of a willingness to spend a summer day, hmm. ninety eight degrees, hmm. but we will spend the day two days a week as many as two days a week, pursuing the development, bringing this out and, and asking, yeah, what belongs here? And, you know, this zone over here is for pollinators. And this zone over here is oh, for wow. edibles. Gets, yeah, and gets... <laughs> this zone over here is for ginger because it's a sh- it's shaded by the neighbor's uh, hedgerow that, mm. that peaks over our property. So it's just, it creates this. And so she thinks of it in terms of garden rooms. And so that's that if we understood our our lives and our our relationship with the planet in terms of Shamar, of Mm. keeping and developing and a willingness to avad, a willingness to work, Mm -hmm. a willingness to, to be engaged, um, I think we would have a much healthier life and, and planet. Well, and you pushed back in your sermon about the idea that it has been mistranslated, Shamar, as as or misthought or mis it, uh, yeah they, they it, well the King James yeah it tends to get translated in terms of subdue. And you dominion. read the word subdue yeah. and and have dominion over. Mm-hmm. Well, if if I'm in the most beneficent place of all, then then the idea of 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 dominance is, is maybe not as scary, but um, I think that that is grossly. First of all, the, the King of England is authorizing this work. Yeah. What, what do you think is going to be the tenor yeah. of the translation? Different, yeah. right? And so they, the King James word would not the, that version didn't doesn't involve the word tyranny. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just they would not use it's like you know the governor of Florida is saying we will not use the word yeah. you know related to climate change yeah. you know, we just won't have that in our government yeah. and that he would not allow for the word tyranny to be used mm-hmm. but he sure would use things that dominion made, and yeah, sub- subduing exactly yeah. Yeah. exactly well and 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 it, and it it does. I mean, the idea of dominion when you're thinking of the perfect king God is different than when you're. It's it's kind of the difference between you. That's why people have to understand some of our our understanding is, and, and we both went to this place in the message is what happens before Genesis three and what happens after Genesis three. Yes. Before Genesis three, dominion and subdue might be perfectly good words because it has this connotation. It's supposed to have a connotation of compassion and care and cultivation. After Genesis 3, when we have, as you pointed out, uh, you emphasized it a little bit more fully, is we create the definitions of right and wrong, right? We decide what's right and wrong. Then the word dominion takes on a different different yes, scale, right? different hue altogether. And this is why work becomes broken. And for so for both work and for relationship, if you stop at Genesis 3, yeah. then you get a pretty good picture of what is wrong with the world, but you don't develop the picture then of what Jesus is doing. And so if if the whole story of work is uh, this this world is not our home and it's going to have rocks and roots and the sweat of your brow is going to sting your eye and you're going to wonder why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, that Okay, that that is a very real piece yeah. of work, um, but it doesn't help me understand where Jesus is. In the same way that, uh, if you want to understand the brokenness of family, mm-hmm. you, you you should not 
ignore how broken we are, yeah. that doesn't help us understand how in marriage what Jesus is inviting us to. I'm not invited to dominating my wife yeah. and ruling over her. Yes, that that's that's the picture of brokenness in yeah. relationship, but that's not what we're that's not what we're moving into. Yeah, it's a picture of sacrifice and service and and compassion and, yeah. and laying down one's life. I mean, and, and not to preview too much of this this week's message coming up, but that is that's the redemption piece that we have to take into consideration. And the same thing, it's what Jesus does with work. With and, work, and and you you did a uh, you spent a bit more time on the me- in the message uh, talking about the work of Jesus pre-ministry, pre, uh, you know. Pre-spiritual ministry. Pre-spiritual pre ministry, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great, yeah. yeah. But before his his public calling, right? Right, exactly. Um, and that, that to me was fascinating. Uh, you, you mentioned specifically his work as a craftsman. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably, yeah. most people would think that Jesus following in his his adopted father's footsteps, Joseph was a carpenter, right? We think of that, we have a very well, narrow and again, view. Yeah, that, that has more to do with the King James translation than anything else. Yeah, so let's talk about the translation piece a bit. This is, this is a, uh, that word that we often get translated as mm-hmm. Carpenter, carpenter really is much broader than that. Right. It does not mean carpentry per se. We we have a much more refined sense of vocation because we're much more specialized these days. Absolutely. There used you know a thousand years ago there was no such thing as the difference between a counselor and a pastor. Yeah, no there difference. Was, there was only one hat mm-hmm. to be had. And so uh, the the priest or the the pastor was the one who who received confession and who called people to understanding and to contemplation and restoration and what will you do? What what is a sense of legitimate amends? Yeah. Now we've got this broken out um, into all sorts of niches, right? Exactly. I mean, there's not even just you have different types of counselors and, now, and different yes. types of pastors. I mean, I know I have friends who are pastors and they're they're executive pastors, which is much more like a CEO sort of a person than than a you know uh, they're more like the chief of staff, whereas the lead pastor might be the teach you know the head teaching pastor, right? So it even gets in the larger the church, the more nuanced even pastors become. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the the craft of preaching heads much more in the direction of of rhetoric. Yeah. You know, it 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 is it is a message that is becoming. Uh, if you went into it, it's one thing to have been a pastor for decades. Uh, and then to hone in on this process of preaching the gospel because of the rich yeah. source of relationships. So if I'm going to preach on work and I've been a pastor for 40 years, then I know where people are and yeah. have been and what they're wrestling with today. Yeah. And, and I think, but we can't apply that same mentality of how we view occupations and apply it to what G, you know where Jesus was before his public calling as yeah, and a, to see him as an individual who has wrestled with all the things that I'm wrestling with yeah so you talked about specifically Jesus work as a craftsman as a construction as a construction as a worker, construction yeah. worker that he could work for southern homes that's right could but run he, run a <laughs> yeah more lucrative more lucrative than probably dying on the cross but probably not as impactful for the, the humanity of the world but i do think the point that you made was so important that that jesus does these this what and i'm gonna use air quotes here secular vocation because uh, i don't really believe i don't really dial into that secular sacred right, dichotomy us, yeah that was a theme of both of our, but, our messages but, but i but i do think he works in the non-traditional ministry field to demonstrate the importance of the of the avad and shamar mentality and and one of the things you pointed out, which I, I got some questions about, was I never thought about Jesus building cities for Herod. 
And you yeah. you actually mentioned that. So I wonder if you talk a little bit about that and the kind of the the historical background there that 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 brings us to that conclusion. If you stand in Nazareth and you look I've forgotten whether it's north, south. I've forgotten which cardinal direction you look, but you look out over the valley on the next hill over. So it's not three miles as the crow flies, but if you walk down the side of the hill that Nazareth is on and then walk Mm -hmm. back up to the next, the crest of the next hill, that is Sepphoris. And it has largely been uh, excavated and explored in our lifetime. Wow. And that, the the leader of this was uh, Jim Strange over at USF was in charge of that archaeological Mm. site. Uh, And this is where, so uh, Sepphoris had been a city that had joined with the Persians and tried to revolt against the Roman Empire. Hmm. And the, the, the Persians thought, oh, we can get a foothold in the Judean area. Hmm. Uh, and so when the Romans caught wind that they had made an alliance with Persia, they just came and leveled it. Of course, it, that's what Rome does. Flattened <laughs> it. Uh, and so after the death of the uh, King Herod Sr., mm-hmm. Herod Antipas, mm-hmm. have, be, having been put in charge of the Galilee region, decided that this would be the best place for his capital. Yeah. So and so it. it's being rebuilt at the very point where Joseph and Jesus and Mary come back from Egypt, settle in Nazareth. Mm-hmm. And so that would have absorbed. We don't. We don't have any document that says um, we paid Joseph from Nazareth f- to rebuild this granary or yeah. to build uh, Herod's palace. But the logical conclusion is exactly that. That this is this is an enterprise that would have absorbed all of the builders from all the local communities. Yeah. So and you it, go where the work is. Yeah, and so, this is this is this is the point when when the question came up in in the Bible study after you preached at eight fifteen, uh-huh. I said, well, it's it's really not. Well, first of all, that having to remind them because I have taught this before that <laughs> that the yeah. idea that Jesus and Joseph were only carpenters as we think of carpenters woodworkers is not in keeping with the actual that's gr- not their primary building material it's not what's well, not pr- their primary building material and even if it was that I, there's it's doubtful that there would have been enough people wanting fine wood furniture that in uh, Nazareth in Nazareth that, no. that would have sustained their their no. their lives so after we get past that I said well you know we know the historical records of that that city that exists, it's very close. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's, it, their job as craftsmen, um, as construction workers, would mm-hmm. not have been different than it is today. If you are a construction worker, you're a craftsman, you go where the work is. I mean, if there right. is work, then you apply for it and, and you hope to get the. Now there are just so many of those people that you may or may not get that job, depending on, you know, price points and unions and all that. Back then, it was not that, that way. They, they recruited uh, workers and they did it. They went where the work was, and Joseph was right. no different than that. And I mm-hmm. think people forget that. And this is where we sometimes forget that Jesus is a human being, <laughs> right? And we don't. Who's born into a family who, who has brothers and sisters and parents, and they all have to eat. Yeah. In the first century, if you are from this laboring class, every day. You work, yeah, and to be a to be a people who set aside one day to rest. That was a big deal. It's a big deal. Big deal. When they worked, they really worked. Yeah, and for them to set aside a day of rest, and and then to have this this career, mm-hmm. and to reach it reach the conclusion that the time is fulfilled. Now is the time. That would have been, and to turn that yeah. over to his. We don't know exactly when. Uh, Joseph died, uh, but to turn it over uh, to his brothers. It's reasonable to assume that G- that Joseph had died s- 
sometime prior to the public ministry of Jesus, because right. we hear nothing about him. Yeah, we hear nothing his, about him after right. the Luke, the Luke, uh, the Luke. Um, was it Luke three where Jesus is in the temple? That's the last we even hear reference right. of your, age fa- your father and I. That's right. so. Anytime between twelve and roughly thirty, mm-hmm. which is uh, it's an eighteen year span. So it's a big span, but and also, and I'm just thinking about this now. It also makes it a lot more understandable why the brothers and the sisters would have been very skeptical of Jesus' ministry because he's the senior brother, he's the the patriarch, and he's left to go do this to ministry go walk thing. around the Sea of Galilee from city to city yeah. with this identity as the fulfillment of all of God's yeah. promises. And, and he's left his mom, and he's left his his, yeah. his, his siblings, he's left the family business, and uh, yeah, I think we, we forget that, that these are real people with real dynamics and real emotions, mm-hmm. and, and also why it's so miraculous after the resurrection that they as far as we can tell, all became believers. They all became not just believers, but leaders in this early church. That James is the you know James, the brother of Jesus, becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem, oversees the Jerusalem Council in Acts fifteen, mm-hmm. writes this grand letter of practical faith. You know that that you know uh, other than Martin Luther and some of the reformers who think it's you know the gospel of straw is a powerful testimony to the wisdom literature of the New Testament. If you're yeah, if you're asking the epistles to serve as a systematic theology, I can see why you get to the straw principle. Yeah, you but, get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's not. But it's not. I mean, it's it's. But it is amazing when you think about what the, what it would have looked like practically for Jesus to give up the day job, so to speak, give up the the, the, the that job, hand it over to his siblings, and say, "I'm going to go and I'll be an itinerant preacher." And I'm this. Hey, by the way, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Savior of the world. Um, and I'm gonna. And by the way, I'm gonna hang out with a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. So, so I have this book in my office called Halftime, and it's an exploration of of career transitions. Because mm-hmm. you 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 mentioned specifically, there's no such word as retirement. Okay, so here's my bugaboo. Barzillai helps David escape the wrath of Absalom, yeah. and when David is returning, he finds Barzillai, and he says. You were so profoundly helpful to me. I invite you to come to Jerusalem. Come sit at my table in my court. You will be an honored feature in my court. And Barzillai says, you know, I'm so old that my eyes don't see and my mouth doesn't taste and my ears barely hear. He says, you know where I want to be? I just want to be at home. (laughs) And David says, hey, I, I completely get it. Thank you very much. You're honored. And he sends presents yeah. and gifts. And how old was Barzillai at that point? And, yeah, so he's got to be in his 80s. <laughs> at least and, in, and, his 80s. in his 80s. And so there is, I think, an acknowledgement. And David, David, when he's fighting Goliath's three brothers, one yeah. of the brothers steps on, on David's sword and is about to alleviate him of his head. Uh, I think it was at, was it Abishai that comes up from behind yeah. and takes, takes this guy out. And they say to David, you, sir. You, you, no more sword play for you. Yeah. Your, your days of fighting with the sword are done. So there are, there, if there's not an official retirement, there are dimensions of retirement. And but so retirement, there. I mean, retirement. When I, you know, my idea is that, and I pointed out Don Hubbard because Don Hubbard was sitting in the front yeah, row. I said, well, look, exactly. the reason retire, you can have vocational retirement all day long, but you don't get to stop working. Well, you do. You don't stop working. It's a transition. Exactly. Right. And, it's and a so, different work. Yeah. Somebody. I saw an interview. Somebody who was a financial planner, and he'd made so much money that when the uh, pandemic hit, he moved to Jackson Hole and he built a twenty-five million dollar house um, so that he can um, do philanthropic work yeah um i think they are they're on a hint yeah they've got a hint of this yeah 
But if you've made enough money <clears throat> that you can devote yourself to, sure. Like Cynthia and I, just that we, the reason that we buy lottery tickets is that we. She she said, if I win the lottery, I am going to devote an entire trauma repair counseling center for the Polk County Sheriff's Department and firemen because they go out every day they subject themselves to traumatic experiences they get banged up and then there's really there's nowhere officially for them to turn yeah so we get them occasionally yeah but not systematically yeah, there's no there's no system yeah, yeah. and so to check we, on their mental know, health we and... we would take uh that that's our great boast yeah. is that we would take these lottery winnings and we would do something systematically for first responders yeah and i think though i think that I think some people say that, right? And and but and they, but they think about retirement. That's not what they think about, right? They think about retirement. Mostly, they think. They think they yeah. think. You know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to devote all my days to learning how to play some amazing rounds of golf, and I'm going to travel all over the world, and I'm going to play on great golf courses. Apologies and, to Mike Loudon. But but I but, 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 but interested I, I in want, golf. I want to I want to go back to you know say Mike and Mike doesn't listen to podcasts because because he's. <laughs> Because, but but Mike, you know, he, he. I remember when he retired and he went and he. But the guy preaches almost every week still. Yes, and he's actually Just, it's like two or three. Churches. Sometimes two or three times a week yeah. to different churches, uh, and he's and he's on more. Uh, you know, upper uh, you know mid mid council uh, committees in our denomination than almost anybody I know, and helping to transition smaller churches into more healthy relationships with other smaller churches. Yeah, he has not retired, right? right. He has simply you he, he has more uh, expendable time to do to kind of follow the lead of wherever God wants him, whatever church wants him to do. Whereas before he was called to. Congregation one for X number of years, Congregation two for X yeah. number of years, and and partially because there's a paycheck on the other end of that, right? And you and and we 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 need you know the steadiness, the stability of the regular paycheck because we also have a vocation to our families, right? To do yeah. to do that work. So I think that the idea of I think it's the the typical retirement model it's like for for me and my wife you know we joke we, we joke all the time because we're, we are planning on doing our best to retire early but not so that we can just do nothing but i cannot fathom a fate worse than to say for the next 30 years of your life you must play 500,000 <laughs> games of solitaire <laughs> No, but but I look at it and I say there are so many small churches. I look at like what Mike's doing, and I say there's so many small churches that can't afford pastors. They can't afford, you know, to to have uh, steady leadership. You know, I look at like you know Dick Huggins. We know he spent in his retirement again. I'm using the air. Uh, yeah, he spent right. ten years leading a single congregation part time because a he could afford to do it. And B, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't afford a senior pastor, but he led them into a place of stability and mission. Uh-huh. And, and how many pastors could do likewise? And how many people could do likewise? I don't want to say pastors. We, that's our that's our circle. So that's those are the people I know. But like Don Hubbard is a great example. I mean, Don Hubbard retired, but the man works for the Lord in countless ways on mission trips i mean he was he's here on thursday nights driving the bus to and from talbot house for celebrate recovery uh you pretty much ask him to be someplace and he's going to do his level best to be there right Uh that's why i say that there's no retirement in the bible the way we think of retirement i mean there's this idea of you know serving discerning what is the work yes. that God has yes. for you this day. That's act, and exactly. And whether that is a fairly humble, because we were talking earlier about uh, the, approaching the biblical text. If you lose your humility, mm-hmm. you say, well, I already, I know what, I know what Avad means. Yeah. I know what Shamar means. No, I don't, I don't know that I do. Yeah. If I come there with a hunger to say, I am trying to get my hands around how this was used 3,000 years ago, then I'll have a great deal of humility and I'm likely to discover some wonderful things along the way. Yeah. 
I do want to spend a little bit of time just talking about some of the, the practical things that, that you um, you and I kind of deal with with people who are in work-related identity crises. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you, you, you talked about it a bit in your message um, about how – and I didn't spend as much time talking about the identity piece, um, which is ironic because I've got a ton of pages written about identity. But we do put a lot of stock in, in our work as as a fairly you know fairly central part of who we are right uh-huh. and when that is not fulfilling or when there's trauma or when there is a disappointment or a sense of purposelessness or meaninglessness which which I did get into quite a bit uh, it, it creates a, a crisis of, of of emotional health and mental health so when you're dealing with folks that are in those sorts of crisis, whether it's you know direction or or disappointment related to their careers, you know what are the, some of the things that you see and hear from them, and 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 that how do you help them navigate those those um, obviously over the course of several sessions, but how do you navigate those conversations with them? Well, so I mean, I think at level one, it is becoming the absolute best listener mm-hmm. that I can be because people are working out what why is this meaningless and they're working out what am I going to do about this betrayal yeah what what is what in the world does God want? From me in an organization where so few people care about integrity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, So, what does it mean to be an ambassador to a fallen community? Mm -hmm. That is that is anything but worthless. Yeah. It's profoundly valuable if you can catch wind of that yeah but first you have to uh, people are a lot of people are sorting out like the 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 quintessential case of of a man who's invested 20 30 35 years in a career and becomes injured or debilitated because of a disease for whatever reason cannot do uh, as 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 he's approaching the culmination of his career he can't do that work yeah uh, and is is this person going to be able to discover the value of loving his wife and his kids and being a man who listens and who prays for and who sees what they're going through and who is behind them? Yeah. Is he going to be able to get past his injury or his disease? And that just that just takes time. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I I've dealt with quite a few folks that are dealing with um, vocational crisis, whether they've lost their jobs or their jobs are, especially nowadays. I think one, one of the biggest challenges I think we face that I've I've seen an uptick of is people who who are in what used to be good, well-paying jobs. Um, and mm-hmm. they're still in those jobs, but the pay is not commiserate with the increase in the cost of living. And so now, right. what where they used the to be able to make topped it, out, yeah, where and they, the expenses yeah. keep going up, and so and you that, lose ground every year. Yeah, I, I we we have a, a great program called the Good Samaritan Fund here, where we we help. Uh, help folks who are in our church people who are actively part of our congregation pay their bills and and meet some of those needs and there has been a market uptick in the last uh couple of years where folks have jobs i mean it used to be i we would deal with people that that were in between jobs they lost jobs or whatever and they couldn't make ends meet because you know they're they, they're blowing through their savings in order to keep their roof over their head. And we were trying to help bridge that gap yeah. until they got a job. And usually they got a job and then we didn't, we, you know, they didn't need assistance any longer. Uh, that's not the case as much anymore. And I think what I'm, what I see from folks now is that feeling of hopelessness because they're like, well, what, what, like it's, it's, it's more of a, I, I did everything right. You know, I, I got it. You know, I went, got trained, went to right. school, whatever. I got a job that was in my field, you know. And but hopelessness there means that my eyes 
are focused on my proximal goals. Yeah. If I've already reached hopelessness, that means that I'm assuming that because I have floundered, because I haven't, you know, 3% unemployment rate means this is a very tight job market. Yeah. Right? And so saying I haven't, and, you know, the old rule of thumb was that you needed a month for every $10,000 of income you're trying to replace. Yeah. Have you devoted five, six, seven, eight, twelve months to finding this new job? Yeah. No, I, you know, I need it now. And so that's, I think, where the genesis of part of that hopelessness comes from is that I'm focused on the fact that I need to do this. Yeah. Right now, well, and, I, and and for folks that have jobs, it's they don't, and, but they're still you know they come up short every month. You know they come up short every month. Yeah, they're like, well, hard, what am I supposed to hard. do? You know what am I? I'm at I'm at the place in my job where, you know, I, it's that thing where they were told to to follow a path. They followed that path. It led them to a good job, and for a while, yeah, as long as as long as <laughs> as long as the economy played by the rules. Uh, But it it apparently does, right? I have had so much business over the years thanks to um, legalistic preaching. Yeah. The 12 steps to finding meaning in work. And they go and they apply the 12 steps, and it helped somewhat, but then failed miserably. In other ways. In other ways. And so now they come in to ask, well, what's wrong with me? I did did the seven steps to this and the five steps to that and the four steps to this, and and it didn't work. Yeah. Um, To me, it's like saying, well... I ate lunch yesterday, and I went to the right restaurant, but I'm still hungry today. Why? Why is that? Yeah, yeah. Because, (laughs) well, and I think too, it goes back to you know, back to the what we talked about a little bit ago is you know there are times when we're where we're in positions that we're in. God has put us in positions that we're in that do not feel to to our limited in in our limited window they don't feel like the right place but i'm i, I look back and go well how did Joseph feel building, you know, Herod's town? Or how did, you know, as I mentioned, Nehemiah in in the in in the service to Artaxerxes for exactly, you know, who knows, you know, exactly. for for years. It wasn't like he was there one day and then the next day he got the call from God and you know, but God was putting him in those positions so that he could spend time building trust, building that that or, relationship. Or Joseph learning Egyptian in Potiphar's household, yeah, and doing it very well only to be put in only to be betrayed yeah and put and in prison put in prison and god orchestrating those moments so that he ultimately gets into the court of again not a godly uh god-fearing uh you know hebrew but a pagan king but to do so in order to save many i mean it's what he says at the mm-hmm. very end yeah. you know and, when the brothers come and say now that dad right. is dead surely you're going to take your vengeance please be kind to us yeah Joseph has this 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 thirty six thousand foot perspective mm-hmm. that even the brothers don't have, um, and he says, "But I now see that God was putting me into that pit, into the prison uh, as a slave. He's putting me in these positions to get me to this point. But it's years, it's years of 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 being a slave and years of being in prison." Only to be in service to a pagan king. When I was in my mid-twenties, I and a friend of mine, um, we cleaned offices at night. Mm. And then we felt like we got a great step up and we got a job um, repairing broken fences and digging ditches. And later in life, I got a job uh, when I was in graduate school um, being the church janitor. Mm. And all those things taught me incredibly valuable Important. lessons. Absolutely. Were they cleaning the, the, the toilet cleaning thing? <laughs> wasn't an immediate source of joy um, having you know just waxed the church floor um, coming in three days later to clean all the scuff marks out of it that wasn't an immediate source of joy but the the lessons learned in all those things are, are 
powerful absolutely. and good. Absolutely. And, and it's, you know, that's why it's one of the things that didn't make it into my message this week is uh, because I, I was trying to feel out how to fit this in is just the, the decline in teenagers who, who work, the decline in the number of, of teenagers who, um, have after school jobs or summer jobs there's, there's been a, a major decline in that in recent years and and i think about to when i was even 12 13 doing odd job you know babysitting and and I, you know I, I delivered newspapers as a 12 year old mm-hmm. i i you know cut i mean those are not those right. are those are things i did every single weekend or sometimes you know daily you know and and in high school i almost always had a job you know i my schedule was and i it's kind of ridiculous but you know i'd get to school at 7:15 in the morning because that's when school started get out at 2:45 and immediately go to track practice or cross country right, practice right. and then that would take me till about 3:30 or 4 you know it take me till like 4:30 5 o'clock, and then i'd immediately go to work i'd go to work uh, i'd go to Har- yeah, i did hardy's for a year yeah, a year right, and a half and then right. i did uh then i worked at godfather's italian restaurant for the last uh, year and a half and <laughs> and um and then and i was home i didn't get home till like 11 o'clock at night you know and yeah. somehow i still managed to be an a student i just don't understand that but I, I look back and so those like your, to your to what you're saying the the idea is that those were all so formative that, that even that work ethic and that mm-hmm. that bow, you know and the work the relationships and the ethic yeah. put together have everything to do with who we are and how we relate now on a church staff absolutely yeah and 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 I wonder about. And I, I go back and forth because I think about that that schedule and think, well, I was, I was being trained to be a workaholic. I mean, I was being trained to be a workaholic. But there is something to the uh, for 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 teenagers, especially that sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, having that like what you're talking about. Those I hate to use this word because it's 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 I don't mean it to be derogatory, but it, it they're menial jobs, right? They're 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 lower on the total, you know. They're they're when you're when nobody's looking at you know. There's job, you know. When I'm dipping my hands into a, to to a vat of, of you know fried chicken, I'm sorry. It's hopefully after that's a, the after the burner is off. Well, right? no, they give you those big gigantic rubber gloves, and you have to pull out the chicken like basket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy and you shake it out, but that doesn't feel like glorious work, right? It well, neither, neither was um, digging ditches and installing uh, drain pipes and Absolutely. lighting systems, but valuable. Like, I don't mean that to be like it's derogatory, but that there's a value to that, right? I, I, it's, and for me, the the workaholic thing was was a question of where where the boundaries lie, and as a man. I, I especially in uh, decades of, of the 20s and the 30s and the and into the 40s I had such a sense that particularly because I'd chosen uh, you know counseling and and working for a church I'm not making buckets and buckets of money so I felt a, a, a sense of pressure to uh, you know work hard amass things get 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 that money system in place where I could have, you know, eventually I would not reach age, you know, 65, little did I know that that wasn't going to be nearly, (laughs) nearly the time of retirement, but that, that, and so I kept pushing those boundaries in favor of work and not, not setting limits to have been at home because those moments cannot be bought back well and that's why this series is really as i as i set up the series it's to me i look at it as a series about balance you know mm-hmm. finding the balance based on the center point of our faith in jesus christ i think that's as i think about that because work is valuable it's an important part of who we are we can't i think the pendulum swing of of some Christians is you know don't place any stock in your work you know that that uh, that to me is not a biblical thing yeah. either um, right and they do that with very well intentioned uh, ideas and ideologies but they're they're flawed because we are created as working beings you know that and not 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 to be and work- if we all quit our jobs 
Yeah, what's going to happen? And then, then nobody. Yeah, <laughs> that system doesn't work very well at all. And we don't reflect who God is because, as we both pointed uh, right. out in Genesis one, God works. I mean, that's that's how he he describes that. So, but there is but there is a hyper tendency uh, amongst some people, I think, to air on the side of okay well work is important so now i'm going to become a workaholic right now i'm gonna now i'm gonna work 90 and 100 hour weeks and i'm gonna miss my kids fill in the blank you know important moment and and like you said you can't get those back and right and faith has to inform that balance you know and faith has to inform the the balance the faith in jesus christ has informed the balance of of how much we work how little we work um, what we do when we're not in our vocational jobs? What do we work when we're not getting a paycheck? You know those sorts those sorts of conversations. There's lots do. of it, all the way from chasing raccoons out of your attic That's to right. turning your yard into the Garden of Eden. That's right. There's a lot to do. That's right. That's right. And there's a lot more we could say about this topic because it's all over the place. I want to say this: I do encourage people who want to dig deeper into this whole concept of faith and work and how that coalesces. There's a great website. It's actually started by uh, Redeemer Church and Tim Keller uh, back 15 years ago, but now it's become its own thing called Work as Worship. I believe it's workasworship.com. They have a ton of great resources on um, on how folks that are in non-ministerial uh, and ministerial uh, occupations can find that, as you put it, I think it's it's a, such a, an apt um, an apt phrase. Can be ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ in places where it is somewhat antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're yeah. still called to that. So, I do encourage people work as worship dot com. Lots of great resources there, Bible studies, and and yeah. and all sorts of other things. So, Paul's been. A joy Excellent. sitting As down always. and talking As to always. you. And if you missed uh, pa- uh, Dr. Paul's message or you missed my message, we do encourage you to head to fpclakeland.org and to the worship page. The Sermon Archive tab has complete services, both classic and our Vine Modern Worship service. Paul was in classic last week. I was in Vine. Uh, encourage you to do that. Make that a part of your weekly routine and uh, then listen to us uh, on Armchair Preaching. And uh, encourage you to, to subscribe to Armchair Preaching wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. I list all of those because I say anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's always this one kind of weird person that listens to some <laughs> esoteric. You guys aren't on there. Well, that's probably true. So, But those are the big ones. We are on all of those. So uh, if you subscribe, you will get notified when a new episode drops, usually on your phone or your computer. Um, I think it will help people. Absolutely. Dr. Paul, once again, thank you for kicking off this series with us. And uh, we will see everybody next time. Excellent.